Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Lorenzotti Coffee. You know them well by now. They're our oldest and longest running sponsor. We love these guys. We love their premium Italian coffee that they deliver right to your door. So do yourself a favor. Get your morning started right with the taste of freedom. Go to Lorenzotti.coffee and use promo code FICTION so they know I sent you. And you'll get 10% off your order. That's Lorenzotti, L-O-R-E as in Edward, N as in Nancy, Z as in Zebra, O-T-T-I dot coffee, promo code Fiction. Get all of your coffee and coffee supplies from these guys. There are two liberty-minded entrepreneurs that came together over their love of coffee and their love of liberty. And not only are they fans of the show, but they've gone above and beyond the call of duty as a sponsor. So go order some coffee, order an espresso machine, get a coffee grinder, do it all at Lorenzotti.coffee, promo code Fiction. All right, let's start the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote I know words, I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the one and only voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. Hope everybody had a nice weekend. It is Monday, January 11th, 2021. For anybody that's listening to this episode retroactively, and that's actually going to be everybody, now that I think about it, because I'm I'm pre-recording this. Uh, You'll probably hear this in a couple of days. I have a very special guest today and a very interesting topic. I think you guys are going to like it a lot. And it's, uh, it's, it's very relevant to today, uh, especially the youth of today, that anybody that's getting into investing in cryptocurrencies and things like that. We're talking about Bitcoin with Alan Stevo. You may remember him. He is the author of the book, Face Masks in One Lesson. So we had him on uh, maybe a month ago, something like that. And I had a really good time talking with him. And he had actually started at a Bitcoin exchange years ago, like uh, seven, eight years ago. I forget exactly when, but we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that in the interview. And uh, we, uh, you know, he just seemed like a really good, interesting guy to talk to about Bitcoin. One of the big problems I have with this whole Bitcoin mania thing is like the pie in the sky. It's going to $10 million a coin you know, if it's not a 2 million by next year, I'm going to eat my dick sort of thing that you hear and just all the, all the, the, the pumpers. And then on the other side, you get people that just think there's no value to Bitcoin whatsoever. And I feel like, I don't know this for a fact because uh, we're still going to do the interview. And I just talked to him a little bit to kind of gauge where he was coming from. But I feel like 
Allen's going to have a, a very balanced position and I'm going to try to steer the conversation in a way where it's not your typical Bitcoin interview. I, I, I just don't want to talk about the price of Bitcoin, how high it can go. I, all, all that stuff is just fucking bullshit to me as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, I want to just talk about you know how he got into it, what's going on with it now, where he thinks it can kind of go, things like that, that uh, hopefully is going to be a little different than your everyday Bitcoin coverage that you get. Um, yeah. So I, I don't really have any other announcements or anything like that. So we can just bring him on. He is the aforementioned author of Face Masks in One Lesson, backed by popular demand, Alan Stevo. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming back on. How you been, man? Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a joy to be with you again. And so it's been, what, like a, a month or two since we last talked? Something like that. Five, six weeks. Okay. Goes by fast, man. Well, at least when you're when you're down here in Mexico, it goes by fast. <laughs> I can't speak for those uh, locked down in the, in the rest of the United States, but I, I've been having a blast. How have things been going with you? Oh, pretty good. Uh, the book's Face Mask in One Lesson is on fire and uh, been writing lots of cool articles, meeting lots of great people, and uh, I'm very happy about that. Okay, I'm going to take full credit difference. for all of those book sales, too. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Got to put you in the acknowledgments. <laughs> well, um, we sort of teased this, I think, the last time we chatted. I don't know. It might have been on air. It might have been off air. But you're a, you're a Bitcoin guy. Totally. Uh, 20, 2013, uh, I opened a Bitcoin exchange with a few friends in New York City. Uh, and if you Google like uh, Morgan Spurlock Bitcoin, you, you see how he bought his Bitcoin from us okay. uh, to start a documentary he did for CNN uh, where he was trying to live on Bitcoin for a week. And I'm up, I'm up on a box in our Bitcoin pit we had, uh, there's gotta be 200 people in the room, something like that. And uh, this exchange was right next door to the New York Stock Exchange. You walk in with cash, walk out with Bitcoin. And it was there 2013 through 2015 or so, um, 40 Broad Street, it was fantastic. And it was just totally perfect for the time. And uh, it was a place where people could kinda kind of go be with each other, go be social. And Bitcoin's supposed to be kind of uh, uh, trustless. You don't need to be social with anyone. You don't need to know anyone. The math just does its job. So uh, our exchange provided kind of an additional social aspect to it where you could go talk about Bitcoin with people. You could see who you're interacting with. You could go talk about your, your startup. Some guys, they had like three startups going at once. Um, and they just come, you know, kind of burnt out from a long day of work. And they'd say maybe a long week of work. They'd say, I'm going to go stop over, uh, have some social time. I know there's gonna be a lot of people there. I know it's going to be exciting. And it was always exciting. We turned down the lights at night and we have shows and debates and lectures and there'd be the Bitcoin people through. And it was just, there'd be things with all kinds of lights and uh, there was a guy who'd sell kombucha and uh, people would sell magazines, people would sell clothing for Bitcoin. 
um, and it was really like a really neat gathering place for the Bitcoin community. There's even a, there's a Netflix documentary, Banking on Bitcoin, that's just an awesome depiction of the time. Um, and it tells the story of how um, the New York Department of Financial Services, uh, so it's not a legislative body, just like the face mask mandates today. It's not legislative bodies making the, you know, the quote unquote laws. It's uh, the executive branch saying, we're going to impose this very strict mandate upon you. And you have no, uh, no legislative body debating it before that mandate's imposed upon you. Um, so just with the, like with face masks today or with lockdown orders, the New York Department of Financial Services imposes this very strict mandate called the uh, New York Bit License. Um, that was in 2015 it went to place. And uh, that made what we were doing very difficult. And it was almost certainly done at the behest of the banks. Um, yeah. We were very public with our Bitcoin trading. We were out, we were out on the steps across the New York Stock Exchange and uh, some days and traders would come walk out during their lunch break. They were bored. They were bored on the trading pits. There was no action happening on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. They walk outside, there might be 40 people trading Bitcoin right there on the street. It was just amazing, like so much great energy. And that movie really does a good job depicting that energy of that, that moment in okay. Bitcoin history. So is this exchange thing still going on? Can you still go there? No, it's uh, that time has passed. Okay. I I, re I really recommend that movie if you kind of if you're kind of curious about it. Um, it. Well, it's interesting because I don't th I think of Bitcoin as like what like probably the most anti-social <laughs> currency idea ever, you know. <laughs> and you guys there, like everybody's getting together. The people are selling drinks and T-shirts. It's like it sounded like a festival or something. Yeah, it it was, and I uh. I worked on the floor of the uh, the Chicago Board of Trade in the thirty year pit, thirty year uh, Treasury bond pit, the ten year Treasury note pit. Oh, really? um, I worked at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, S and P Options pit, Nasdaq pit as well, and uh, I kind of knew that open outcry environment. So I was the the head of trading, and it's what I knew. It's what the the other guys who started the exchange knew that they liked people around. Um, and they knew there was just potential for that. And we didn't do it in Midtown. We didn't do it, you know, somewhere we could find cheap real estate in the outer boroughs. It was really right next to the New York Stock Exchange. And it was just, it was spot on. And Peter Schiff had an office, two oh, or did? three buildings the other way. <laughs> um, we had a debate between a, an economist named Jeffrey Tucker. And we invited uh, Peter Schiff to debate him. Jeffrey Tucker was very pro-Bitcoin at the time. Uh, Andrew Schiff was, or uh, Peter Schiff was totally anti-Bitcoin, but Excellent. instead of Peter coming, his brother Andrew came instead, who's a colleague of his at uh, Euro-Pacific Capital, or was at the time. And it was a wonderful, wonderful exchange between the two of them, Schiff-Tucker debate. Yeah. Yeah, that, that sounds good. I mean, I, Peter Schiff is still pretty anti, very anti-Bitcoin, oh, yeah. actually. And I mean, he makes some compelling arguments as far as I'm concerned that maybe we can kind of get into in a little bit, but how, um, how did you first get started with Bitcoin? Like, how did you find out about it? Did you ever have any, uh, activity on any of Ron Paul's campaigns? No. Okay. No. So a lot of, a lot of, uh, more kind of, 
fringe political stuff can be like this. And Ron Paul was certainly fringe in the Republican Party uh, when in the 2008 election. Um, but by the time 2012 ran, rolled around, he was not fringe anymore. And certainly by now, um, you know, Trump, Trump is like his, his take over the Republican Party. In a lot of ways, it's a reincarnation of some of Ron Paul's um, some of Ron Paul's work in the Republican Party to push it more towards kind of a transparency and almost almost a populist message Ron Paul had, I would say. I, I don't think he would ever say he was trying to have a populist message, but just the idea of saying something like the Federal Reserve Bank is not good for most Americans. Uh, we need to reexamine that policy. Just that kind of thinking, that that's populist. Um, so in, in uh, 2008, you'd have these people come through who were into all kinds of different things, and uh, the ideas would get jumbled around um, among people, and then they'd go off their separate ways. And, you know, one guy might be talking about uh, how to open carry in California. That might be his specialty. And the, the guy from Massachusetts would say, what do you mean? I, I thought it was illegal in California to open carry. And then he'd give some example of how, how you can legally open carry in California. Um, or another guy might be into like uh, a keto diet or something like that. And, you know, he'd tell others about it. So another guy might be a poet. So all these people would just kind of get their ideas together and a campaign like that, that's so based on education, the way Ron Paul's was, gets ideas jumbled around and then spreads them out into the world. So in 2012, I was uh, working in a few states and I had, uh, I had, I ended up going back to New York with a few guys who worked on the campaign and we did some political consulting work. We did some real estate work. And one guy just wouldn't shut up about Bitcoin. Like he wouldn't shut up. And it makes sense. Ron Paul, Austrian economics, Bitcoin. And if you ask me, I've, I've written about this extensively. I've spoken about it extensively. Um, that, that it's not uh, the Chicago School economist, Milton Friedman. Um, he, he made some comment in 1999 about how there's going to be electronic money um, or electronic cash. And some people say, wow, he was so prescient about what the future of Bitcoin was. Um, and he, it's not, it's not a Chicago school concept mixed with, um, mixed in. It's, it's no, no question to me, it's an Austrian school concept mixed with cypherpunk ideas. There's really this hard monetary policy concept. And Satoshi Nakamoto came up with these ideas in, uh, during the financial crisis. Um, all these banks were getting bailed out. And I know very little about Satoshi Nakamoto that's not out there in public. I know nothing. No, I know nothing about Satoshi Nakamoto that's not out there in public. Um, but I can see the guy was clearly paying attention to Ron Paul's campaign. He was clearly paying attention to Austrian economics. And he said, huh, I wonder if I can combine Austrian economics with these cypherpunk ideas about privacy and cryptography. And I wonder what comes, what can come out of that. And he, he solved unique problems in both areas. Uh, a special unique problem he solved in Austrian school economics was 
how do you make these ideas immutable? How do you make sure government can't, can't stop these hard money policies? Um, so it came, my interest came out of that 2012 Ron Paul campaign and a friend of mine who just wouldn't shut up about Bitcoin. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I hope you thanked him. <laughs> I've thanked him many times. Yeah, because I mean, it, I think when I first found out about Bitcoin, it was under $150 a coin. I don't remember what year that was. It was probably around the time where you're doing those exchanges, if I remember correctly, but um, maybe a little before then. And I mean, it just it just hit what little over forty thousand this past weekend. It's it's pulled back. I think last time I checked, it was around thirty five thousand dollars a coin. Which um, man, if you if you were lucky enough to to get in on that ground floor, you're feeling pretty good right about now. the The one thing that does kind of concern me with it, though, is, only one thing. Wow. Only one thing. Come on. The I have a, a few concerns, I guess. But Good, yeah. the, the main thing is the is like how you get government out of it, because I, I realize they can't do anything with the actual Bitcoin. But the whole apparatus we have now with all, like everything in the Patriot Act, the anti-money laundering, the control that they have over the, the companies that you would actually be perhaps using the Bitcoin to buy something. I feel like they're going to come after you either at the point of sale or something with the IRS, they're, they're gonna figure out a way to get their uh, tentacles around you, even if they can't actually touch the Bitcoins themselves. Is that, is that a valid concern? Oh yeah. Um, it's nice, it's nice that it exists, um, that the technology exists and someone, you, you need a lot of courage. What, what you're just describing right now, you need courage. Um, and there's not a lot of people who are willing to, to put their neck on the line for something like that. And I understand that. Um, I understand that. So the during, during the current president's administration, Bitcoin has been, since, since election night, it's just been uh, four digits. It, it very quickly took off and has been a four-digit uh, or five-digit um, price in dollar terms. Uh, under President Obama's administration, it was three and sometimes four digits. Um, and there can be lots of reasons why that may have happened. There was one thing, one thing that the Obama administration did that, that was really very evil, but also kind of a favor to the industry, was uh, something called Project Choke Point. And there, does this term ring a bell to you, Choke Point, or not really? It, it doesn't, but... Some of your, some of your listeners will probably have heard of it, um, and there was just an effort by, uh, which organization? I think FDIC, I think Federal Deposit Insurance uh, Corporation, I think corporations with the C stands for, um, which has the ability to engage in some bank regulation, um, is uh, said at the time, they kind of politicized this bank regulator, and they said things like, uh, if you're banking uh, smut peddlers, you're going to have extra scrutiny on their accounts. If you're banking gun shops, you're going to have extra scrutiny on their accounts. Um, and there's a list, a list, and the banks knew they were going to have a hard time if they banked any of these folks, um, which is really just like totally indecent to do, to say, 
this regulator that's supposed to just kind of create financial stability, which at its root is just the most evil organization, if you ask me anyway, but they're going to use it. They're going to use it to politicize banking. Um, they, they also said, if you're banking uh, Bitcoin entities, there's going to be a lot of trouble. So in that time, like 2013, and it lasted into the Trump administration, maybe a year, they, they finally shut it down and issued an apology letter. The FDIC issued an apology letter to Congress. Um, if you're banking Bitcoin, many, many, many bank accounts were shut down at that time. It was normal to have people say, I just had my bank account shut down and four people in my family had their bank accounts shut down. Um, so it was kind of like Facebook today where, uh, let's see, there's a guy, Brandon Straka, who uh, used to be a proud Democrat. He said, I don't like the Democratic Party anymore. I'm walking away. And he posts people's videos. It's called the walk away campaign. He posts people's videos about why they left the Democratic Party. And that guy, this past week, he had his Facebook account shut down. All his employees had their personal Facebook accounts shut down. So it doesn't just stop with the uh, prohibited behavior. It goes further. Um, so that was happening in Bitcoin quite a bit. Um, this caused Bitcoin to be very robust, if you ask me. It caused the industry to be robust. It was miserable, but we just had to be creative and say, how are we going to work around this? What are we going to do? And uh, even though Steve Mnuchin has said some negative stuff about Bitcoin, um, Trump has said some stuff about Bitcoin that's negative. It's really been a, a, a time period for the industry to be able to get comfortable and to prosper and to not have to worry too much about the federal government. There's still a lot of, lot of trouble from the U.S. federal government, but it's not, it's not like it could be. Um, so the industry has gotten really comfortable with that. And now there gets to be a period, maybe again, where the industry has to figure out, you know, what are we going to do to to make Bitcoin to make Bitcoin serve its initial purpose? Um, and this is difficult because now you said the people who got in one hundred fifty dollars, they're just thrilled. Yeah, they got money, but there's there's not a lot of room in the industry for these people anymore. Um, they don't. They're a little bit rebellious and. They don't fit next to the uh, the bank vice president, who never made made a killing, and at the age of I don't know fifty five is saying, "Okay, Bitcoin's my last chance. How do I take over this crypto company? How do I slither my way up the the corporate food chain?" That guy next to a Bitcoin OG, like, there's a culture clash there, um, and and there's a little some of that soul of Bitcoin that that came out of Austrian economics, that came out of some cypherpunk ideas. Some of that's disappeared in a lot of ways. Um, so this, who knows? More, more of those people involved. Bear markets, bear markets are fantastic for Bitcoin because the people who are hardcore about the technology and the, the, the ability of what you can do with Bitcoin, the kind of the philosophical show up and the bank vice presidents disappear. Yeah, it, it is kind of, it's a weird sort of, I don't know if dichotomy is the right word, but you have uh, a lot of people that are proponents of Bitcoin. They they see it as almost like a validation when you get some of that mainstream banker money to come on. But at the same time, like the whole idea of Bitcoin, or at least part of it was to circumvent all of these, like the cartel of the big banks and everything. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it's interesting. And then that is it's good. I, I, I like what you said a lot. And this this idea like kind of the, the approval from the mainstream, it's it's not the right approval to go after um, because it perverts you. Um, and you don't want to be told to jump through hoops to to get along with the mainstream. If if Bitcoin is just the, the banking establishment that's been built over the last 100 or 150 years uh, in a different form, then there's no good. But Bitcoin can be a chance to, it is a chance, it's a chance to rebuild the definition of what banking looks like, the definition of what finance looks like, the definition maybe even of what money looks like. I don't know if that's that's like a very big statement to make, but there's all these chances and if you just take the old people from finance and shove them in the door of Bitcoin, you, you limit so much of that potential. I gave a very nice talk. Uh, if, if you ask me, I, I know uh, two people at least told me they cried during my talk. Um, I gave a very nice talk at uh, DEF CON, the hacker convention two years ago, um, about, about the people kind of being chased out of Bitcoin. Um, those kind of OGs and the, uh, the people with a little bit less heart for for uh, for anything really. The professional class, the professional class, and I know uh, you and I have both had professional jobs, but there, there's a difference between kind of uh, giving up all your passion in that process or uh, maintaining some of your passion. Um, and th that passion uh, was very much present with some of the OGs in the Bitcoin industry. Yeah. Let's take a quick break for a minute and talk about one of our other sponsors for today's show, and that is the Lucky Guy Bakery, serving up some of the best brownies you'll ever have in your life, delivered right to your door. I have tasted almost every single one of these, and I was pleasantly surprised at the quality of ingredients and just perfect balance between sweet and saltiness. They're not overly sweet. They're just very chocolatey and delicious. They have a bunch of different flavor options. You can get the classic brownie. They got a vegan they have a gluten-free. They have a peanut butter bonanza that people go crazy for. Check them out at theluckyguybakery.com. Order yourself a customized gift basket or order some for that special loved one you got coming up around February. Was it February 13th? Is that Valentine's Day? So that's coming up. You guys got to get ahead of the game here. Go to luckyguybakery.com. Use the promo code PF20. P is in peddling, F is in fiction. 20 for 20% 20 off your order. These are not only delicious brownies made by another liberty-minded fan of the show, but they use fresh ingredients. They're all handmade. They come with custom little notes in them. It's a perfect gift idea for anybody. And you should treat yourself as well, because who doesn't need a, a nice, delicious brownie from time to time? So go to the Lucky Guy Bakery. Use promo code PF20 for 20% off your order. And so these, uh, these OGs that you speak of, are they still thinking of Bitcoin as like a, as digital currency, like they're going to use it to pay for things in the future? Or are they considering it more like uh, a lot of people compare it to like a digital gold, like they just use it as a store of value? Or um, yeah, I think, I think that digital gold is more and more 
kind of what people talk about, but you know, there's, there's second layer projects that seek to make Bitcoin um, easier to use as a day-to-day currency um, where, yeah, there's plenty built on top of, of the Bitcoin network are our second layer projects that are increasingly coming along and kind of proving themselves saying, look, Bitcoin can be our underlying um, mechanism and then then we can do our, our day-to-day trading off the chain or in this this other kind of kind of way. Um, so there's there's plenty of efforts right now for Bitcoin to be uh, currency used day to day. But like you said, you know there's it can be very expensive to send Bitcoin. Um, if if you're buying if you're buying a coffee, you might you might even find that it's uh, more expensive than the coffee to to do the the transaction. Yeah, and that was another concern that I had years ago when I was sort of looking into this was there there's a bunch of different digital currencies, and when you can kind of um, when you use technology to create something, I get worried that they're going to create something better in the future, and that could just sort of just wipe all of the value out of out of bitcoin if there's a if there's one that's you know easier to transact in it's faster it's cheaper things like that i uh, i wrote this book in 2014 or 2015 called the bitcoin manifesto and i was kind of uh, annoyed by how much hype there was like anti bitcoin hype from the wall street journal or similar entities and how much pro Bitcoin hype there was from Bitcoin folks. And it just felt like you were always getting anyone you were talking to about Bitcoin, at least 30% of it was total lies. Um, maybe probably more than that actually, but, um, and the book, the book seeks to speak as truthfully as possible. And even today people make fun of me for something I wrote in the book. I, I wrote that I don't consider Bitcoin an investment. Um, that I consider a grandpa company. I'm going to tell you a very grandpa company right now that I do consider an investment. As much as I might not like what the owner thinks, uh, the founder rather, um, it's it's an investment. Berkshire Hathaway to me is an investment. I I see what it's done against the S and P over many years. I get I get what it's doing with with purchasing value. Um, and I like its float model with insurance companies. I get it all. I get why the price moves. Um, and then Bitcoin, I consider speculation. Even though I invest a great deal of my life and time into the Bitcoin industry, um, I consider it speculative. And I don't put, I don't put my, I don't mix investment and speculation. I don't, I don't confuse those two ideas. Gold also, gold and silver, I think are just fantastic. Um, but I, I do not consider them investment i consider them insurance or speculation in the same way okay yeah that's sort of the way that i've treated bitcoin the last like five or six years was to do short-term trading with it um i i would be very nervous to have it as like an investment with like a long time horizon or something like that i want to try to hop on some of these quick moves maybe make a quick buck or something like that Maybe not, but um, it's uh, that's sort of the way that I've been trading it is like short term, short term trading, 
um, I would consider it, yeah, very speculative. And um, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have like a little exposure to it. Uh, I, I think people that are, um, you know, that don't diversify any of their speculative positions, for that matter, are are gonna miss the boat on on some good things too. But it's, um, I, I don't even know. I, I never thought that it would get up to 40,000, to be honest with you. Um, you know, you might be surprised. You might be saying that same thing to me when it gets to 400,000. Yeah. Um, what you said about speculation, you know, uh, I, I'd say you shouldn't put more money into Bitcoin than if your Bitcoin... Uh, your money in Bitcoin is going to keep you asleep at night. You've put too much in it. Yeah. Um, I, I am a long-term speculator in Bitcoin. I recognize it can go to the moon or go to zero. And either of those options are okay with me. My life will go on. I hope to give my Bitcoin to my grandkids. Um, I, hope it, if, I hope for it to be uh, you know, generational wealth in my family. Um, I, uh, and if it doesn't become that, I'm okay with that too. And, you know, you know, in 1994, um, people spoke about Alta Vista. And that was the number one search engine in the world. Um, I, I don't know the last time I've heard anyone say Alta Vista. Yeah, um, the first time I've heard it in like at least 15 years. <laughs> Google, Google came along and, you know, it's the number one search engine in the world. But we shouldn't be fooled by these things that are, are trendy and popular at the moment. Um, you know, Google, there will be a day where there's no Google. That's a guarantee. Um, I don't know if that happens tomorrow or in 100 years. I don't know when, but there's a day where there's no Google. Um, and the uh, the way some of the tech companies behave, they expedite that day most likely um, because they abandoned their original mission that so motivated them. And Google was just this amazing, this amazing product that could tell you anything on the internet. And in the last five years, I've watched it turn from this entity that wants to tell the user anything to this incredibly hard to use piece of software that just, you can't ask it the right questions anymore to get it the data you want. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that when it was built upon PageRank, it was just so fantastic. When it was built around the original algorithm. Um, Bitcoin now, forgive me, did I disappear there for a second? Yeah, just a second. We're back up. Okay, okay. Bitcoin now, um, we should be comfortable looking at it in the same way. That just like you said, you're, you're worried, you know, other digital currencies will come along. Listen, something else is going to come along and it's going to be bigger than Bitcoin. That's inevitable. I don't know if it's tomorrow or 100 years from now. And it's so good that there's thousands of competitors to Bitcoin. And, you know, there's things even like Zcash or Monero, uh, where, where it's playing on the idea of uh, anonymity. This is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful that there's uh, people out there who are willing to say, I want to help you make your money anonymous. No one can trace you. This is built into Monero and Zcash. Bitcoin has become this, you know, scary currency that the Chinese government will love to use one day because you can trace everything on the blockchain. Um, and, and, but there's people also trying to build anonymity into that, uh, which I very much respect that, that kind of free market environment that's happening in Bitcoin, allowing it to experiment while regulators, 
uh, stay away, thank goodness. And so where do you sort of, um, like, what do you think people should be doing then if, because a lot, a lot of these people, you know, they call them the, the hodlers, the hold on for dear life that think it's going to like a million dollars a coin. How, what should their approach be to, to this technology? The hodlers, hey, I hope, I hope everyone who sees Bitcoin uh, and sees the potential and people who are libertarian or Austrian uh, can really have the most kind of insight in that because they have a foundation of monetary policy. Um, so I hope anyone like that who believes in the potential is eager to get as involved as possible and to build out the utility of the industry, the utility of the coin. When I talked to my 84-year-old uncle, he, uh, he says, hey, how's Bitcoin doing? What do I need to know? What's the latest? And I tell him some stuff, but I can't encourage him to buy it. I can't, I can't come up with any way at this moment that, and some of my friends in the industry will get frustrated with me for saying such a thing. I can't come up with any way at this moment that Bitcoin is better for my 84-year-old uncle than his American Express card or better than his bank account, or better than his cash, um, or better than gold. I just, it doesn't, for someone of his, of his demographic, it makes no sense for him to buy Bitcoin right now, other than for speculation. Um, and I don't know that someone of his age needs to be speculating necessarily. Um, he's probably got a lot of his finances sorted out, is my guess. The the hodler, I hope, is getting as involved as possible, bringing utility to Bitcoin. Something that I did not expect this quickly was for Bitcoin to be on the front page of the New York Times and Wall Street Journal and to have a bigger space on CNBC than, than gold or silver and copper altogether. It, it, some days, Bitcoin has more space than all three of those metals combined in price. Um, I didn't expect that to happen so quickly. But what I did expect to happen was that you'd be able to use Bitcoin for more things. Um, so the industry has grown a little distracted by the the flash, the the horse race reporting, the look at look at all the dollars, all the fiat currency you can buy with a single Bitcoin these days. You know, I don't care about the fiat currency. I care about freeing the world from the tyranny of the central bank. And I care about the idea that this currency can be used for good in the world instead of co-opted by a bunch of bankers who are trying to make a quick buck. So I hope the hodlers are out there, not counting their Satoshis, but uh, saying, how do I change the world for the better with this technology? Let's take a quick second and thank one of our other sponsors for today's show, and that is Zipix Toothpicks. Uh, first, I'm hawking caffeine. Now I'm hawking nicotine. These are nicotine-infused toothpicks, and they are also flavored. So it, it's the best of both worlds. You get a delicious tasting toothpick that also can curb that nicotine craving. It is a great smokeless alternative to cigarettes. It's a great alternative to all the other over-the-counter nicotine alternatives. It's cheaper than all of those. It's uh, less cumbersome than a lot of them. I mean, it's just a toothpick. You can pop it into your mouth anywhere you want. There's no mess. You can take as much nicotine out of it as you want. You can save it for later if you don't need all the nicotine that's in the toothpick. You can do it indoors. You can do it outdoors. You can do it without anybody knowing that you're actually getting a nicotine fix. 
So go to ZipixToothpicks.com, use promo code FICTION for 10% off your order. He's got six different flavors. You can get the ultimate flavor pack if you want to try them all. If you're a smoker or you uh, you chew tobacco or you're on the nicotine gum or the patch or something like that, try out these toothpicks as a, an alternative to what you're already doing. You won't be sorry. So make sure you go to zippixtoothpicks.com. That's Z-I-P-P-I-X toothpicks.com. Order yourself a bunch of these nicotine-infused flavored toothpicks so that you have the perfect alternative to get you that nicotine fix that you need from time to time. Zippixtoothpicks.com, promo code FICTION. And so what are the, the things that are sort of in the works in terms of using Bitcoin for more than just a, a store of, of value or just hoping that it increases in value? Are, are, are anybody yeah. actually using it as um, it was originally intended? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that that number's constantly growing. That network's constantly growing. Um, there's all these second layer, dozens of second layer solutions. Where, um, so an early Bitcoin proponent who used to be called Bitcoin Jesus, Roger Ver, um, he uh, was big on something called Bitcoin Cash, and there's been a lot of hard feelings developed in the Bitcoin community between. Uh, people who might call themselves maximalists or Bitcoin maximalists or Bitcoin core developers even. Um, and Roger Ver or others who engaged in um, in Bitcoin Cash, promoting Bitcoin Cash, because, uh, because they had their personal conflicts and their political conflicts and whatever. But, you know, there's people out there trying to advance the technology in the ways that they think are best. And sometimes people's feelings get hurt along the way. And I, I try my best to stay out of any of these small, small partisan conflicts. I see so many awesome things happening. There's, there's dozens, Lightning Network is an example that people often talk about of a second layer kind of protocol built on top of Bitcoin. And if you imagine Facebook built on top of a protocol called the internet, I'll just call it the internet. That's not the right, the exact right way to refer to the protocol, but I'll say Facebook's built on top of a protocol called the internet. Um, Lightning, the Lightning Network is built on top of a protocol called Bitcoin. I can say in the same way. Um, so that would make it, there's, there's lending environments that are easier to, to create on top of Bitcoin if it's in a, a second network. There's uh, micropayment, micropayments that are easier. Um, and there's lots of other people working on working on all kinds of transactions. I know a group of people uh, very well that are working on a, a hedge fund, uh, an investment fund where, venture fund, a venture fund where you can put Bitcoin payments in and you can leverage your Bitcoin payments for dollars, um, use the Bitcoin's collateral and go invest in Bitcoin companies. And I think that's just fantastic. Um, all these different kinds of experiments and entrepreneurs overwhelmingly fail. They fail, all of them so often many entrepreneurs who succeed have failed before many times um and this is you know we should we should thank people constantly who are willing to be the entrepreneur the experiment in society the ones who are willing to fail because they bring so much good to our society um instead of hating on the entrepreneurs so there's all these people experimenting with bitcoin experimenting with cryptocurrency some of them are scam artists 
Um, I like that there's this let the buyer beware environment in Bitcoin instead of this uh, everyone needs to have government involved at all moments, protect people, let the buyer beware. And Bitcoin is very much that. We need to watch out. We need to watch out for all the scams. There are so many. There are a lot. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I, f I feel like most of the time where I, when I hear a story like uh, a company is going to start accepting Bitcoin or uh, this was it an NFL player was going to get paid in Bitcoin. Are they actually paying in Bitcoin or are they they're selling the Bitcoin on one of those open exchanges and then they're converting the Bitcoin to cash and then giving it to the company or to the player? Is that is that how? It yeah, works? Uh, both. It works both ways. Um, it's more likely uh, from the scenarios I've seen for people to. Uh, I don't know, uh, 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 an acquaintance of mine uh, did the first Bitcoin real estate transaction that we know of. Um, and that was for a rental apartment in New York City. Um, and uh, the landlord, the landlord would get paid in cash uh, at the end of each month, but the tenant would pay in Bitcoin. Um, there's, there's lots of scenarios like that. Um, that's the more common one and the, the less common one, but still quite prevalent is, uh, there's crypto companies paying their employees in Bitcoin and the employees want to do that because they want to go along Bitcoin. Um, they want to predominantly earn their income in Bitcoin. Uh, one company I know of has an internal, uh, kind of app that, uh, let's the employee decide each month, you want 10% of your income in Bitcoin, you don't want 75% of your income in Bitcoin, you want it all in Bitcoin. Um, and the people who do that, their, their intention is to hang on to that Bitcoin for a good long time. Um, there's companies that their, you know, their internal treasury committee has made a decision that they're going to take a position in Bitcoin as a company. Um, for whatever reason they do it, they do it. Um, and they would, they would accept Bitcoin payments and they would not, uh, trade them for, for fiat. They wouldn't trade them for dollars or Euro. Well, so, but isn't, uh, Bitcoin is just digital fiat though, right? There's not much of a difference there. Well, fiat, the word fiat means, uh, by command it's from Latin mm -hmm. and a fiat currency is, uh, uh, a currency that the government has said is its currency. This is the only one you may pay taxes in. This is the only one you may uh, trade in within our borders. Um, the end. So that's the concept behind a fiat currency. And then Bitcoin, one reason Bitcoin's a good idea is because it uh, is kind of a, a, a free market experiment in what competing currencies can look like. Um, and this this kind of just lets people say, do I want to do business in dollars today or do I want to do business in Bitcoin? Do I want to hold my life savings in dollars? Do I want to hold in Bitcoin or do I want to hold in some other currency? I, I don't know what that might be. Maybe it might be uh, Ethereum I want to hold it in or, or uh, Monero or who knows what. But here we've just kind of competing currencies have been this uh, long kind of coveted uh, Austrian school concept and libertarian concept of uh what would the world look like if the government did not have a monopoly on on money? Um, how might that be different? How might the United States be different? 
um, how would that be even a way to kind of uh, keep the government in check and to say to the government, you've done, you've done poorly with the trust we've placed in you. Uh, now, now you will suffer by, by having your, your fiat currency uh, so poorly valued in the marketplace. So this is really kind of a neat, a neat concept that competing currencies exist. So when you say, when you say Bitcoin's uh, just another fiat currency, I would, I would disagree because there is no government commanding its existence. Um, it, is, it is truly, you know, a handful of people, a few dozen people uh, put, put the software on their computer and said, we're going to play around with this currency and see where it goes. And uh, 12 years later, you have uh, many millions of people doing the exact same thing, essentially, uh, never needing government's permission. Uh, never running to government to say, hey, protect me from this uh, ne'er-do-well who I've come in contact with in the Bitcoin industry. Um, and really, it's been so peaceful and has gone very well. Um, and it's really just kind of showing that, you know, how necessary is the role of government in all this, all this financial regulation, banking regulation, money printing, uh, how much money should go into an economy? What should the interest rate be? Um, all these things that are just such tremendous impacts on our life. Do we really need these uh, masters of the universe to stand over us with all this control? Or just like, just like with you know, telephones, there used to be a telephone monopoly um, from the 1920s to the 1980s in the United States, there was a telephone monopoly. And what the telephone monopoly gave us was... Uh, what was it called? It's called uh, something like the Western Bell Model 5000 or something like that. Uh, this The old clunky rotary telephone that you may never have even seen. I don't know. But, okay, you've seen it. And every house in the U.S. had one. You had the exact same telephone in almost every house in the U.S. Um, you could choose black or you could choose, you know, you could choose a red color. You could choose uh, a beige color. It could be on the desk or it could be on the wall. Um, and those were mostly your choices. And if the phone company representative ever came over and saw that you had, you had to go to Japan to get exciting telephone technology um, for whatever reason, there's probably good reasons about related to the monopoly. But if, you, if, you ever, if they ever came over and they found that you had a wireless telephone, a cordless telephone connected to uh, one of the, the Ma Bell companies, um, you could get in a lot of trouble because why would you connect this unknown telephone to our telephone lines. Do you want to destroy our telephone lines? Do you want to take down our telephone network? Is this some kind of terrorist act? Why would you be so selfish as to connect a Japanese telephone to our, our phone lines? So that goes on till you could argue 18, 1980, it goes on till you could argue 1984, it goes on till the telephone monopoly. And there were economists in the 1970s and they'd argue the free market always provides a better product than uh, central planning. So the, the government economists, the Harvard PhDs, they would say things like, so what do you want? You want three telephone lines down each street? You want three buttons on every phone? You choose which, which phone company you're going to go to? And the free market economists would always have to say, you know what? That's exactly why central planning doesn't work. I have no idea. I'm just one human. But the free market's awesome because you get all kinds of people, these entrepreneurs I spoke of, willing to, to stake their lives, stake their life savings maybe with the hopes that they might become the next billionaire. And most of them fail, but the consumer really ends up like such a winner in the whole process because they're all competing for the, the joy of the consumer. Instead of there being one phone company saying, uh, the consumer is gonna take whatever we give it. 
And that's how it's going to be. Prices are going to be high. Service is going to be garbage. And uh, take it or leave it because there are no other phone companies because we paid off Congress. Ha, ha, ha. And we've been doing it since the 1920s. So 1984 comes. And uh, the, uh, the monopoly is broken up. Prior to that, the monopoly wasn't broken up. It just kind of became more competition was invited in. Um, so I don't know if the monopoly had to be broken up or not. That's a different story. But you had the same telephone with one model change from 1948 to the 1980s in the United States. And within 24 years, within 24 years from 1984, 23 years to 2007, you end up with this free market for telecommunications, relative free market for telecommunications. And you get, instead of that clunky old telephone, you get the iPhone. You get a consumer-friendly, viable, and there were smartphones before the iPhone. You get a consumer-friendly, viable supercomputer in your pocket. Like, that's craziness. Look at what the, the free market was able to do for us in such a situation. And imagine what a free market in healthcare could do. Imagine what a free market in education could do. And these are are coveted things that are not allowed to exist uh, in the American paradigm. Now, imagine money touches everything. Imagine what a free market in money could do. And Bitcoin is the first step towards this free market in money. And just like, just like your grandparents can barely recognize the iPhone you carry around, it's possible that your grandchildren will be carrying around using money, Not maybe not carrying around, I have no idea what it'll look like, they'll be using money in a way that you could never even imagine. You would never have fathomed. Yeah, that, that's a fantastic way of putting it. Um, it. It really is. We take so much for granted when it comes to just free market invention and uh, ingenuity and everything that they give it. Like, okay, 25 years, and it was just completely revolutionized. And, but we, we take it all for granted. Um, I just wish that there were more, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about Bitcoin, because I want that to be the central message around Bitcoin, not like, oh, if you just invest in it now, you'll become a, a millionaire, a billionaire overnight, <laughs> just because it's a, you know, everybody wants it or something like that. Um, that should be what you just said over the last like two minutes should be the, the two minute pitch for Bitcoin. And I just wish that that would gain a lot more mainstream traction than just buy Bitcoin, hold on to it until you become a billionaire. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of boring. In fact, what you just described, the conversations that happen around Bitcoin can be really, you know, how much is it today? And and this is the media. The media really likes that conversation because it's easy to report on. And um, presidential elections just happened. Probably within three months, we're going to see polls. No, there's polls already about 2024. I've seen polls already about 2024. So instead of talking about, you know, the the, the hard work of government, the the building of society, the uh, the the importance of this this process, um, and and of course, some people can say there's no no importance to that process. Um, but instead of talking about that hard to report on. Uh, kind of writing that I don't know, like a, a Matt Tybee would do on the left or a, or a Glenn Greenwald would do, and, and that quite a few people do impressively on the right as well. Um, there's, uh, there's this kind of horse race kind of, well, who's ahead in the polls today? Who will be the next uh, 
who will be the next president? What what do the what does this poll say and what does this pundit say? And it's so much easier to report on than uh, why why a, a piece of legislation is philosophically impoverished. That's like some hard. You, you need like you know twelve years of reading to to get to a conversation like that. But to report on the price of Bitcoin, all you need to do all you need to do is uh you know look look two or three times a day at the the charts, and that's that's the boring article, and it's very non-threatening to the status quo. In fact, and that's where what you just said. You wish that it were this other conversation. I can tell you, the uh, the those who who pay for the CNBC advertisements and those who make decisions at CNBC and those who uh, make decisions on uh, finance at the the Treasury Department um, or at major banks, they really like the conversation staying there instead of uh, why this is a great reason for the Fed to stop existing or why it's a great reason for bank regulation to stop existing because they benefit so much from regulation. They they use the regulation. Uh, big banks use the regulation to keep upstart competition out of the industry. So that's why you end up with 10, 20, 1,000 banks that look very, very similar to each other because they're all regulated by the same regulators. They have no incentive to, to pursue the consumer and to be innovative. And in fact, if they're innovative, they don't just have incentive to not be innovative. They have uh, negative repercussions if they get too innovative. That's what happens in the regulatory environment. So we say, you know, oh, we need to regulate industries to, to protect us from these evil uh, profiteers. But, but it's not that. It's the, the regulation is their friend. The big banks can easily put a few more lawyers on staff to handle any new piece of regulation. It hurts the upstart. Bitcoin is the upstart that is suddenly bringing uh, energy to the banking industry. Banking so incredibly boring, but you know what? Five years ago, it took five days to get money from Denmark to New York City. And it might take five days to send it from one bank to another in New York City. That's insane that when you can send an email in less than a second and it could be a giant email. It could have all the most important information in the world. You could send the Bible in less than a second across the street or to Denmark. Why can't you do the same thing with money? Because the banking system had no incentive to improve. But now, now there's, there's uh, every bank you go to is talking about their cool app that lets you, you know, send money from bank to bank this quickly. This is all, this is pressure from the crypto industry. This is pressure from Bitcoin. So already, already we're seeing this positive influence, the free market. And what, what government will inevitably try to do is to regulate and to stifle the competition. And you get these uh, big ensconced players with no incentive to benefit the consumer. And the, the Bitcoin industry will fight this at all turns, I hope. Uh, but more and more, they're saying things like, well, why don't we start a self-regulatory organization where companies, all the legitimate companies get together and say, we're going to have this regulation ourselves. We're going to have that regulation. And you're going to get fined this much if you don't follow that regulation. This is just as bad as government. The regulation in a free market comes from the consumer. The consumer, if someone screws up, it's happening right now on, on Twitter. It's happening right now on Facebook. People are, people are leaving that plat those platforms. 
Um, they're going to other platforms. And those those other platforms that, that, that promise free speech, some of them are pretty janky electronically. But this is what the free market gets to do. The free market gets individual by individual. They get to say, hey, I don't like that platform over there. I'm going to try that platform over there. The banks don't like that. Bitcoin, Bitcoin presents that. And with, with luck, the cryptocurrency industry will always have that kind of free market and will always be pushing the, the boundaries of, of human potential for money. Last but certainly not least, let's thank our other sponsor for today's show. You know them very well by now. That's Photo IQ. And you all know that I'm a big proponent of investing in yourselves, learning new skills. And one skill that everybody thinks they really have, but very few actually do, is a good eye for photography and the ability to take a good picture. And if you're doing anything today's day and age, uh, any sort of business, online or otherwise, you're going to need good pictures. Photo IQ offers one of the most extensive and unique online photography classes that you can take. It's going to be more in-depth than just about anything short of a, a serious college degree in photography and far less expensive. And you can do it from the comfort of your own home, especially now that most of us are locked down here in the United States. This is a perfect way for you to gain another skill to help you start that side business, make a little cash on the side. Maybe you, you've been laid off because of COVID. Well, world still needs plenty of photographers. You could become one if you go to photoiq.co and you use the promo code FICTION. You'll get 20% off of any class, all the classes that he offers. Do that now. You don't have to take the classes right away. You can take them at your own pace. He'll help you build a portfolio. He offers a money-back guarantee. You have nothing to lose here. Go to photoiq.co and use promo code FICTION for 20% off your order. He bumped it up from 10 to 20 because of how much he believes in this product and how much he wants to share this skill with other liberty-minded people like yourselves. So make sure you check him out at photoiq.co, promo code FICTION. Do you think that uh, Bitcoin would ever become one of like the big banks of cryptocurrency? Sort of like what happened, like what you were talking about with Google or, or Facebook or something like that? Oh yeah, oh totally. Um, so something, something that stops Bitcoin from doing that. Uh, there's there remains an interest in Bitcoin being decentralized, and there's more other cryptocurrencies that are more decentralized. Um, but there remains an interest in Bitcoin being decentralized. There remains a constitution of Bitcoin in the white paper. Um, and there's some appreciation, I'll call it the constitution to compare it to the US constitution. Um, if we changed the US constitution today and had the exact same wording as, uh, as uh, in, in uh, 1787, but it was a 2021 version, it would lose some of its credibility. It would lose some of its, oh, this is something that, that came from 1787. Um, and that, that kind of remains a flagpole for some people to rally around. There's limitations, that piece of paper, but you know the ideas, it, the idea that there's a classic nature to it, that the founders came up with the idea, there's, there's beauty to that. So 
similarly, in the Bitcoin white paper uh, written by the, the pseudonymous Satoshi Nakamoto, um, or maybe that's his real name, who the heck knows, um, the, uh, in the white paper, we have kind of some founding principles of Bitcoin. We have some emails with founding principles, and Bitcoin has moved away from that in some regards. But uh, there still remains this kind of desire among some to, to be true to founding principles in some ways. Um, so that, that, is, that is relying on humans to some extent there. And if someone has, uh, if someone controls uh, a large number of nodes, they have, if one individual, one corporation, maybe even one country controls a large number of nodes, they have outsized influence in Bitcoin. Um, those nodes are the decision makers in a lot of ways, you could say. Um, but even if that changed, there could still be 10 other people, just like how Bitcoin started with a few dozen people. Uh, there could still be 10 other people who say, no, we're going to run the original Bitcoin node. No matter what China or the U.S. government says about how Bitcoin should be run, we're going to run the original node. So there's value to that, this ability to say someone's going to run the original node um, or the original uh, protocol um, on their nodes. So the, the software can't ever be taken back. It can't ever be put back um, because it's out there for people to use. There can be a group of people who co-opt Bitcoin, no question about it. It's certainly headed in that direction more and more. Um, and it can become not just a big bank, it can become this evil empire, in fact. And there's a, a operation... Uh, out of New York, run by a, a Danish gentleman. Uh, what the heck's that? What's it called? It's called uh, crypt, 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 crypt analysis or something like that. But uh, their their whole reason for existing is to uh, de-anonymize users of Bitcoin. They they their whole reason for the company to exist is to to make your data. Uh, available to government, available to uh, observers, available to the banking industry, uh, whoever might want to buy your data from them. That's their job in existing. That's just evil, if you ask me. Um, but that's part of the free market, too. And it's okay that someone like that is existing. And what they're doing is they're pushing the people who really care about privacy uh, towards ways to make Bitcoin more private. And there's there's plenty of ways for that. What do you think are, what are your biggest problems with Bitcoin? Hmm. If any. Oh, I got a lot of problems with Bitcoin. That biggest is the... So I, I think... I think my main problem right now would be uh, in the industry that uh, sometimes the price can be distracting and there's a, I like, I like companies that focus on utility. I like companies that focus on how do I make this easier for the end user and that they have kind of an understanding about how, uh, how value is derived in a marketplace um, that that you and I get together and we agree to a price 
And that's, that's value right there. You and I saying, you know, what's my computer worth? What's my phone worth? We agree to a price. We have value. It doesn't matter what it trades for anywhere else. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about the price. You and I have an agreement. We've, we've come to that value. So um, this, this, the nature of value to another person, what can Bitcoin's value be to another person? Um, how can my 84-year-old uncle obtain value from Bitcoin he can't use from American Express, he can't obtain from American Express or cash or gold? Um, these are big questions to keep asking. And the more the OGs leave Bitcoin, the more kind of uh, philosophically impoverished people take their place who might be really good at running a board meeting or might be really good at sending out emails or uh, designing the uh, designing the, the web interface. But the, the larger a crypto company gets, the more it gets divorced from, from these principles, the fewer kind of people who understand those principles are around. Um, so inevitably, uh, you, you have a hard time sticking to that. So this is, this is one problem. The, some companies are great focusing on utility and some have no clue about it. Um, and there is, there's certainly, like any tech space, there's an increase in kind of a, a socialist, socialist concepts and folks uh, increasingly kind of entering the, the crypto space. Um, and that's cool if they want to come along and get what that white paper's saying. And it's not cool if they want to come along and just kind of make a few bucks and maybe uh, make, make the crypto space woke. Uh, totally distracting from from the amazing important missions. Um, that'd be one. That'd be one problem. Uh, then I like I like uh, the importance of philosophy to Bitcoin. That, that's important, um, which ties into the other. Yeah, and do you think that if Bitcoin can make a big enough splash and actually um, threaten the establishment to the point where uh, the, the big banks are like, are the big banks and the government, they're just going to sit back and let this replace the dollar? No, no, that's not. No, that's not um, in the realm of possibility. I would have no, to. No, no. So, um, if it replaced the dollar, it would be to to someone's fantastic advantage, um, and it wouldn't be just because. Nah, um, this thing about letting it. This is a different thing than would people flock to it even, um, and I don't even know if people would flock to it. I don't even know if Bitcoin would be popular enough that uh, a government would be threatened in that way. Um, because, uh, like you said, Bitcoin's kind of seen, um, as this way to make a billion dollars, um, when there's so much more potential. Um, but until, until that utility of why Bitcoin is so much better than the other options out there, uh, like your American Express card, like your cash, like gold, until there's really understanding of that, I can't see that mass adoption could happen. And I, 
when I look at the banking environment and how, how well developed it is for around dollars or around euro or even around like third world currencies, there's even developed lots of developments around the banking. Um, it just doesn't exist in the same way in Bitcoin. It's coming together. It's coming together constantly. There's all kinds of great people working on things like that, but it's just not, I wouldn't trust the Bitcoin industry with uh, the U.S. economy right now. It'd be just foolish to say, okay, we're going to flip the switch and we're all going to be on Bitcoin tomorrow. It'd just be craziness. Um, this this allowing, I think people use uh, government's guns and badges, do lots of dirty things, and it, it will have to be with... Uh, A lot of stuff would have to change in the government for Bitcoin to be allowed to replace the U.S. dollar, which can happen, which can happen. Yeah, well, they've certainly done a fantastic job of destroying the value of the dollar. I think we got what 97% of it has been destroyed since the, the Federal Reserve uh, came into existence, something like that. And this speaks this speaks a bit to uh, why is Bitcoin, why did Bitcoin get to $42,000, whatever the high was? Um, I, uh, a year ago, I, I couldn't find any stock that looked attractive to me because, uh, because their, their, their earnings ratio, their price to earnings ratio was just so out of whack um, everywhere in the marketplace. There's, there's some that are like, there's many, there's, there's, you know, there's many that are good, better than others, but like, it's just so out of whack. And knowing what I know in, during the Bush administration, uh, government stopped reporting uh, M3, stopped reporting the growth of money supply. So uh, we stopped having the same look at what government was doing in terms of inflation. Um, right now, so much money is being pumped into the economy. We, we don't know how much exactly. Um, there's, there's lots of good people out there estimating. There's this economist who does, uh, runs this website, Shadow Government Statistics, and I think the dude just does great work saying, hey, government's lying to you about this and that. Look, look, this president changed the definition of unemployment, then that president changed it in this way, and that president changed it in this way. And you can't compare this year's unemployment numbers to 20 years ago, a totally different number because they just changed the definition on you. Uh, I think his name's John Williams. That's a fantastic, fantastic source of economic data. Um, the, in this, in this, uh, same way we don't know the the growth of of money supply so in the last year those stocks that weren't good to invest in a year ago haven't become better to invest in they they become worse their prices continue to go up we've had lockdown the the fundamentals of the united states have gone to garbage total garbage where uh massive unemployment massive lockdown people aren't buying no one's selling stuff Except, except for like Amazon and Walmart and the, the, the middle class small business base has been uh, totally harmed during this process. And the natural result is that it catches up with society and you start to get shortages of things and uh, you, you have serious economic problems. During all of that, the government's been pumping so much money in the economy that you have all-time highs in the stock market. That's ridiculous. But you know what else you have all-time highs in? Bitcoin, that's ridiculous. 
the, the fundamentals are what matters. It's the fundamentals. Have the fundamentals of Bitcoin changed in the last year? I don't know what they have. There's, there's arguments to be made that the halving happened in May and that changed the fundamentals of Bitcoin. I get why people make that argument, but it is that. Yeah, I would have thought that the, the, ha the halving would have been priced in since everybody kind of knew it was coming. Lots of debates about that. And yeah. that's it's a big, I, I don't even like talking about it. It's such a big debate. What I know happens, what I know is happening in the economy right now is that lots of money is getting pumped in and all that money is trying to find some some asset to to dump to be dumped into. And one of the assets that's being dumped into is Bitcoin. Um, and that's people, people trying to find a little bit better return than than the inflation that's catching up with them. It's a fair point. It's definitely a fair point. Well, um, I think I got to let you go pretty soon. We're coming up. Okay. Uh, You've got to think. you got to think. I got to in about 20 minutes, but. Um, what else do you dislike about Bitcoin? You said you dislike some stuff about Bitcoin. Yeah. I might ask you also what you love about Bitcoin. Like love, like you're like, man, Well, that's I, something special. To, to the point you were making earlier, I love the idea of a decentralized currency that the government cannot touch that doesn't they, they can't just create it out of thin air with a couple of keystrokes uh, they can't use it to fund endless wars overseas and things like that um what i don't like about it is it not much it not so much bitcoin itself but the environment that it's operating in like we talked about with all the government regulation that can come down on it um I don't, I also don't like the fact that there, there's just nothing there at the end of the day, except a, a bunch of numbers to me. Um, if, if somebody doesn't want to buy my Bitcoin from me, I can't do anything with the Bitcoin. Uh, that, that's a concern for me as well. If someone doesn't want to buy uh, the apartment you're in right now from you at the end of the day, can you also not do anything with that apartment? Well, I could live in it. Okay, that's good. That's good. I get you. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, it's got utility. That's good. Yeah. So I don't know what, I, what else I can do with, like right now, uh, everybody wants Bitcoin. So I, I wouldn't have, a, I don't think I would have a problem unloading my Bitcoin on onto somebody. But if for whatever reason, um, people stop wanting it, I don't know why. And I'm just left with a bunch of Bitcoin. Like, what, what can I do with that? You know, there's no uh, inherent uh, value other than the fact that it's like scarce and uh, it's a can be used as a medium of exchange. And uh, but other than that, it's just you're dependent on people wanting it. And with such a short track record, uh, that just makes you very nervous. You know, all all value in all products, they're dependent on someone else wanting it. Um, and this. Bitcoin suffers from that same problem, but the, to, to say that this is any, any worse than the U.S. dollar or any, any kind of government currency, right, that's, that would be inaccurate. That, that's how all currencies work, except you don't have the trouble of the government doing dirty stuff with it. What you said, though, about the short track record, you make such a good point there. Like gold, this is – I don't blame Peter Schiff for looking at a 12-year trend and saying of Bitcoin and saying, no, that's not the same as gold. And I think Bitcoin advocates who say it's better than gold, this is, you know, in theory, it's better than gold. 
There's some good th- arguments to be made for that, but you don't, you don't take where the era is very trendy. You don't take something with a 12 year track record and say, that's as good as that thing with, I don't know, a 5,000 year track record. You can't, that's insane. That's, that's madness. That would be com- that people would come up with in 2020. That's, that's nothing like, like put on your face mask because it's better than the, the way you were made, the way you came out. Uh, that, that's like some 2020 talk. So I, I agree with you on that about the track record. And the other, like when I start to think about actually using it to run uh, or to actually like function, like we use money in an economy, like a long-term contracts or something like that, um, insurance, like I don't, like, cause it was, it was 40,000 a couple days ago. And then it was 30,000 this morning when I checked it. Now it's at 35, like that kind of volatility um, I, I don't know how long it takes to uh, sort of smooth that out. I know it's always kind of been the knock on uh, Bitcoiners that it's too volatile to transact in. And they'd be like, well, you know, you got to give it, you got to give it some time to sort of uh, come into its own, I guess, as a, as a currency. But man, those, those, those kinds of, you know, 10% moves in a couple hours. Um, I, I don't see how you could have uh anything that's long-term structured in that. And my guess, my guess is, as just like you said, as more kind of uh, utility and uh, kind of network effects kind of get built out around Bitcoin, the more that starts to stabilize. There was a time um, Bitcoin got really boring. People stopped talking about it. It was about 300 bucks. It was moving like for a few months from like 290 to 320 or something like that. And I was so happy. I thought it had just crashed from, I don't know what, 1200 or something. And I thought, oh, wow, this is where it's going to stabilize. Now it can really, I didn't care that it was 1200. I didn't care that it went down all that, all that percent, you know, I didn't care. That's some Wall Street Journal talk. I was excited the technology might work. Yeah. And I was so happy with stabilizing at 300 right around there. This could be a real thing. And I, I, I didn't get my dream after a few months, you know, yeah. started doing its thing again. And then it was, it was down around like three for a while again. And I thought maybe, yeah. maybe there, but then 10, you know, I, I just look at the chart and I see where all the structure is because that's kind of the way that I, uh, I trade stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of good support right around 10,000. Um, so even if maybe it'll, maybe it'll settle there. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? I hate to throw out price predictions for Bitcoin. Everybody's going to look stupid. I think at some point, <laughs> Hey, if you're, if your readers like this kind of talk, I, the books, the books old from 2015, but it's still very pertinent. It's called Bit, uh, Bitcoin manifesto. Okay. My name's Alan Stevo. You yeah. get that thing on Amazon. I don't remember how much it's like 12 bucks or something, but it's, Still today, there's a lot of lies told out there, and it does a good job of taking the lies. And I think it's the best, the best kind of philosophical Bitcoin book out there, if you ask me. Awesome. Well, um, having read many books, yeah. um, and my latest is face masks in one lesson. That's how to never wear a face mask again. You had me on last time about that one, as yeah. some of your your viewers know. Um, that one is a special pride of mine these days. Uh, taking a stand against. The, the, the trendiness, the nonsense of having a face mask on all day, which is which I don't do. And 
quite a few people around me do, even though we live in merciless lockdown land where we're told it's constantly mandatory and people who check in are like, oh, your lockdown's so bad, I hear. Well, and your face mask mandates, everyone's got to wear them. Well, that, that's not really true. That's not really true. Well, uh, um, So I talk about that in that book. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad the book's doing well. Uh, I'm glad that we have voices like you out there for Bitcoin because I'm not totally sold on it, um, but I like your approach to it. And the message that you have with it and that I'm sure is in that book, uh, The Bitcoin Manifesto, that's really what uh, it, it should be about, in my opinion, not just some sort of get rich quick scheme. And uh, I, I'm just really glad that you're out there uh, putting these putting the, the right uh, message together for, for the cryptocurrency industry. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> hey, no problem. It's always a pleasure to have you on. I had a blast as usual, despite all of the uh, technological difficulties. <laughs> it was almost as if the Bitcoin uh, cryptocurrency universe did not want this to take place. Maybe it, was, it was probably the federal government, actually. <laughs> but, uh, hey, I hope you have a great night. Yeah, yeah, you too. And uh, maybe I can have you on again. We can talk uh, whatever else you're getting into, man. You're a man of many hats. I look forward to it. All right, man. Take care. Take care. All right. Well, hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview with Alan Stevo. Great guy. Love talking to him about just about anything. And I really thought that he hit the nail on the head with what the messaging should have been for Bitcoin. Um. I hope to have him on again. I it, Hopefully you guys enjoy it. I mean, hit me up on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. Follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction if you don't already. But let me know what you thought of this interview, the one we did with face masks and one lesson. I really enjoy talking to him. So I don't, I don't know if that kind of, uh, if everybody shares that or if it's just, if it's just me um, enjoying, enjoying his company or something like that. But a great guy, um, very level-headed when it comes to Bitcoin, which I appreciate. I, I like it when people are on it, a little more honest about you know, the, the, the pluses and minuses of, of cryptocurrencies and things like that. So um, anyway, that's, that's going to do it for today. Hope you guys um, enjoy the week, enjoyed this episode. And if you want to become a supporting listener of the show, you can always do that by going to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. And other than that, you know, just try to support our sponsors. Keep listening. Share the show with somebody. If you want to give me a five-star rating and review on iTunes, I'm told that helps. Based off of uh, today's techni uh, technology issues that we had. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, it, it's pretty clear that I know absolutely nothing about any how any of this stuff works. But um, do all that for me, and I will be back later this week with a brand new episode for you. And until then, you guys know the drill. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.